Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The section that we're taking a look at today, that's the section of Noah, which covers Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, and goes through chapter 11, verse 32, basically chapter 11, a recap of some of the, you could say, the, the high points of this particular passage. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week with better sheets or the beginning where we started the whole book of Genesis, that this is these two particular passages are key and pivotal because they start out the explanation of the world. You know, we always like to talk about where do we come from. People were big into genealogy these days. Where do we come from? Well, in these two particular passages, you get a picture of why things are the way they are, and where we come from. So with these two particular ones, we start out with better sheets. The first one, where it's the testimony of where the heavens and the earth came from. So when you look out into the sky, you know where those came from. When you look at the things on the earth, you know where those came from. When you look at you know, people, and you look at animals, and you look at trees, and you look at all of the things around, and you look at the sky, the sun, the moon, you know where all of those things come from. It's not a mystery. There's not some sort of weird um, creation story that comes to where they came from. You know that the creator of heaven and earth is the source of all of those things. There's not a little um, god of the vineyard, the god of the vine, the god of the tree, the god of the rock. No, there is one source for all of those things. So that is the one key thing that you get out of the first part of it. And you also get the key part of male and female, he created them. That, well, where do where does one generation get to the next generation? And how did that come about? You get that explanation there as well. You also get the explanation of, well, okay, things started out good, and then went downhill. How did that happen? How did we get into this big mess? And then you get the picture of the garden and the trees. That's one of the things we focused on uh, last Shabbat was, in particular, looking at those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And the particular way that you have the path to life, the path to eternal life, and then the path that leads toward death. Now, as we see in this particular passage of Noah, you get the picture of, okay, why are things the way we see them as far as big mountains? And why are things the way we see them that are just, you know, they don't seem to work right? And um, why is it that you have this... uh, why do wild animals fear people? You get that particular picture 
of it. And you also get the picture of where you have um, the people eating animals and where that comes from and how those things get started. And you also see, well, why is it that um, the humankind just continues to kind of grind down? You get problems that come generation after generation after generation. You also get that picture too. I don't know if you noticed, but the ages that are listed were much longer before the flood, and you can see them in that genealogy we just rattled off, that they're going down and down and down and down. So you started off with 900 with Noah, 950 specifically, and they go down to 205 by the time you get the father of Avraham. And then Avraham himself was, like, was it 175, I think it was? So it was, uh, you can see it, it's just steadily going down and down and down and down. So things are breaking down. So the question that you see is, this is, okay, the testimony of where Avraham came from, where Israel comes from out of Avraham, where the world comes from, and also that you get this picture of a real history, a real testimony, and an outflowing of how the world came to be. Now, this is incredibly important where we see in the past 150 or so years where this question, where is the tree of life? Is there a tree of life? You've probably seen it in diagrams where they say, like, you know, it comes from this first things, first organisms and whatever, and then branches out to all of the species that are out there. Or is it an orchard of life? Which is, you have a lot of things, sources, for the various creatures that are out there. Then they branch out. Well, what is it that you see both in the account of Buttersheet and the account of Noah? Organisms adapt to their environment. We don't see them changing from one thing to another. Yes, you see them, uh, species adapt, species change, but you don't see them changing from one thing to another. Um, That is where you see things talking about reproducing after their kind. Um, That's, you see some people refer to this in kind of the catchphrase of bara min, which kind of combines two Hebrew words where bara means created from, or created, and mean means from. So, bara mean means created from. So, after their kind, that's where they propagate from. And that's only become more clear over the past 150 years, especially when you got to the later part of the 1800s with uh, Mendel. Probably learned about that in school. You know, Mendel about biology, then Pasteur with the the uh, law of biogenesis and the, the corollary to that is the, the law against abiogenesis or the, the law against that things just pop into existence. Because before the time of Pasteur and the like of him, what was the idea of how things came into being? Well, rats came from garbage. Yeah, rats came from garbage. And then when you think about fleas and stuff, they, they, came out, they sprung out of rats or something. So, thus, you had no clear picture of where things actually came from. You just think they sprung into existence. Yes, go ahead. 
Another thing I, I think has not been brought out very often is that, is that um, this was a change in the world. Uh, it had to do with probably with, radiant, with solar energy and inner space, inner, what they call it, inner, inner, interstellar um, radiation that, that first came on the Earth. And it seems to be with the relationship with, between um, what we call land and water that changed drastically. And it's not like just it got flooded and people got washed off of it. It's just, it, it was just like Apostle Paul finally said, there was the, the world that was then was changed. And then we're looking for another change. And we kind of expect that because it's going to be burned up by fire. We think of that as numer, you know, uh, nuclear, nuclear, thermonuclear reactions that are going to definitely change elements from one kind to another. But it happened then too. It was not very well explained to us. And we, we, we don't really recognize that. As I said, I think we just think of, he washed all the people off of it, and then he repopulated them with people. But really something des desperately changed, and that's where your lifespan comes in too, probably. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things significantly changed. You know, one, of the, one of the things that's um, you know, shown up in, in recent decades is the, the idea that um, there is a possibility that when you're talking about the radiation that a lot of the radiation on this planet um that we have in the form of uranium and uh radium and the other various radioactive elements that are out there that those came into being perhaps around the time of the flood because of uh, this thing that was discovered over actually in the former soviet union that if you um, use a lot of electricity and compress things like granite and quartz that you can create heavier elements in the process uh, it's a it's a very strange uh, physical um, phenomenon they call it the z pinch but basically if you channel things in the realm of lightning so you're talking gigawatts of of power flowing through at once and a lot of compression of granite that you can create heavier elements like gold so why do you see gold around uh, seams of quartz so why do you see various elements around various seams of, of crystals of various types so there is that possibility that some of these things that showed up after the flood that were dangerous happened because of the flood so a very interesting thing that shows up there but also something that uh, the out of africa is the way that it's usually described to our children and to the general public that that's where people came from out of africa and they will say well they will try not to say how many people, but they'll generally say it was maybe roughly 10,000 people is where this sort of came out from this general population. But when they actually do the genetic testing back, you end up with three of the mitochondrial, um, the mitochondrial sources. So mitochondrial DNA is passed through uh, women. So... And when you take a look at the genetic aspects of uh, the chromosomes that are specific to males, you'll see 
basically one. And you'll see three for the mitochondrial DNA. So thus, you know, they'll have an interesting picture of, well, perhaps, you know, Noah and his sons, there's the one male chromosome, and then the three, which is very interesting. Well, you wonder, well, okay, Noah's wife, and then the three, the, uh, the three wives of the sons. But the interesting thing is that they found out that uh, one of those three of the mitochondrial likely was a twin. <laughs> so, very interesting. So, cousin or a twin, yeah, it's a close relation. So, it, you, you get the picture that uh, it's perhaps that some of those uh, wives were related to each other. So, very interesting picture. So, when you look at the reality of the world, what is it that you actually see? Is what's depicted in the Bible or accurate, depending on what we see? Or is it this idea of things popping into existence, the pure uh, picture of what is out there? So, we also see that you have a better explanation based on the things related to the flood. And as Larry said, moving large amounts of the planet around and doing massive damage with lots and lots of water, that is actually a better picture for how you actually find the world today. With You, know, you go through any side cut that they do for a highway or something, and you'll see all those layers. And you go to the Grand Canyon, and you see all those layers going from top to bottom. And those layers are flat like a pancake going across hundreds of miles. Or they are, you know, undulating like this, looking like taffy that got uh, bent around. So you wonder, well, how do you take hard rock and bend it? Well, you don't. And you only bend it if it's mud. Then it can get bent before it actually solidifies. So, and then, oh, uh, da, 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 Alex, go ahead. Yes, Un- unmute yourself. Go ahead. Yeah, um, just an observation. Did I hear that right? The Lord closed the door on the ark. Uh, uh, I, yes. I apologize. I don't have my, yeah, that, that's really yes. fascinating to me because uh, God is a participant, and it almost reminds you of a space movie. You know, where you got one of your androids outside because man, he got a button in safe because nothing outside is going to survive other than God. And uh, so he was there to make sure that door was shut. Just, just an interesting image. Yes. And, and so thus, yeah, Alex, you, you really bring up a good observation there is that you have in this particular story the, the mixture of two particular, um, you have two particular things going on. The human action being involved and also you have the picture of the work of God being involved as well. Like, how did God start like to begin? Did how did God start the beginning, or how did God start Himself? Uh, yeah, how did God start Himself? Ah, so the question is, who made God? Like, well, how, how did He start? How did God start? Because is that He is made that the question? Us, but, ah, but, who like, made God? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, is that but, the question? Like, some, oh yeah, something like that. Yes. Well, that that is that is a fantastic question because that's off often asked quite a lot. So, any anything else before we tackle your question? Uh, no, actually. Okay, great. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked it because that's a, that's a very important question because one of the, the key things that you always start with is, and the, the people going all the way back, you may have heard about the Greek philosophers like uh, Socrates and Aristotle, and maybe you've heard some of those people, you know, like and the people that were togas and like to sit around and think a lot. But one of the key things that they thought about was uh, where do things come from? And one of the first ideas that they came about was something that they t- called the prime mover. And prime being like one, first, top, start, mover. Something had to get things going. And one of the things that has been discovered through time is that to have something that works, you need to have somebody who puts the parts together and puts the rules for it. If you want to play a game, you have to have rules for the game. Because there are some people out there will say that life and the universe is like a game. But who sets the rules for the game? Do you play a game? I mean, how can you get together with a friend and play a game if neither one of you agree on the rules? You have no rules and you're going to play a game. How do you do that? You can't really. Because what? You're going to just end up uh, arguing. Arguing about things because you have no rules for it so the key thing is where do the rules come from rules is just a we have the big word that we call information informations like words words are information it's things that uh you can get details for things so when you look back and where does the rules for the game come from? Someone has to speak the rules, or people talk together and they say, okay, these are the rules for it. So, to have something that works, you know, like you, this, and it drops, and it drops, and it drops. We let it go, and it drops. Well, people figured out they can describe how it drops, and they can make it so that you can predict how i can say how far this will drop depending on where i am in the world and then when you get in a rocket ship and they shoot the rocket ship off and they say like they want to go to the moon they know how to get the rocket ship to the moon based on the law that went into describing this so what makes that work and these rules that we have that describe things like we call this gravity, things that pull down toward the earth, these rules have to have a rule maker. But over time, you get to the point where, okay, you have a rule maker who does this, and someone makes this rule for that, and someone makes that rule for that. But in the beginning, you can't go back any farther. There always has to be a starting point. For us, we don't understand that because, you know, we, we're born, you know, we start out, we're young, and then we get older. So we don't understand the things that, okay, there has to be a start that started all things. But just like the rules for a game, you have to see that in the beginning, there is a rule maker in the very beginning. 
that starts things out. So that's when we, we look in the Bible and we see in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see in the beginning, there was a rule maker. The first rules that were made, the first rule maker. So just like you could say in the beginning of name your game, there was a person that made the rules. So that we are all in this game, so to speak. But there had to be someone outside of the game to make the rules for the game. For us, it's very hard to understand how that is. But when you go up through even the most complicated mathematics, you know, stuff that makes your head just explode, they get up to the point where they go, there has to be something above that to make all of this crazy mathematics work. Because the mathematics is information. It doesn't exist. You know, for example, like you send, you know, if, if you were to send an email or something. Okay. Well, I could put, I could put uh, your name. I could put your name into an email. I could say your name over the phone. I could call your father and say, say your name. I could put your name, write it on a piece of paper. I could put your name and say, call up a, a skywriter and say, hey, go up in a plane, you know, turn on your smoke and start writing your name up in the sky. All of those are the same information. So that's your question. Well, who made God? That's one of the most important things to go back and look at because when we go all the way back to the beginning, we look out in the sky, well, who made the stars? There was one that put those into effect. All of the stars and everything you could say is in the same game, so to speak. And there is a game maker. And there is a game rule maker who puts all these things in, into action. Does that help at all with that question? Yeah, yeah, because that is... What he asked there is one of the most fundamental questions anyone could ask. So thank you very much. And hmm? there was nothing before him. Yes. So there's nothing that you can't explain it because there was nothing there because he was always there. So we're yes. left without being able to talk. We can't even comprehend. Yes. And, and see, that's, that's when you think about with the being able to comprehend the things that were before the things that are here. Yes. Well, isn't the Bible says that God was from everlasting to everlasting? From everlasting to everlasting. God is God. So, do you know forever? So, forever in the future, because right now we're like in the present, and then forever in the future, well, on your side, forever in the future, and then there's also a forever in the past. And from all that, God already was. <laughs> yes, and outside of that is, yes. Yes. And, you know, one, 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 other, way to, one other way to think of it is that um, you think of everything that is, is like this table, this table that I'm banging on here. Well, if all that you know is on this table, 
uh, what about me standing here above the table, looking at the table? I can take this from the table and move it over there. Now, you living on the table will go, whoa, how did that get there? Well, there was someone outside of the table, above the table, away from the table, not part of the table. Like I was saying earlier, the rule maker who puts the things in order. So that is what we're talking about from everlasting to everlasting. It's outside of the universe, the things that you see around us, outside of that. So, yeah, great, great question on that. Who had no beginning and no end cares about us. Yes. This is the most amazing thing that we've got in our whole universe is that he cares. Yes, and that and it goes back to what we looked at last Shabbat, because right in the parallel to Genesis chapter 1, we have in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and then we say just that, that the one who made everything decides, wants to take a direct role here, and that's parallel to what we read later on in the Torah, when we read about the tabernacle. We read about the tabernacle there in the big tent, this dwelling place of God. That is a part of the same thing, that the one who made everything wants to have a presence here amongst the people. So we talk about a big gift, a big honor, and also about the great love of the Creator to want to be in our midst and to fix things, to put things back to the way that we read about it there in the very beginning. So, a hugely important thing. So, when you see the things out there, such as I've mentioned here about um, some of the things that we've seen here recently, it's been a startling thing. Not only just the question that he asked there about who made God and then going out beyond the idea of the mathematics and the workings of the entire universe that someone had to put that into effect. We see something even closer to home with when they dig up these uh, dinosaur bones and find you soft tissue in them, find DNA. They've been finding more DNA recently, which breaks down pretty fast. You know, we're, you're, you're talking into hundreds or thousands of years, not millions or tens of millions of years or even hundreds of millions of years. It just does not survive that long. So, Again, the picture, well, whose account of how things got here is correct? Is what you see in the Bible closer to reality? Or is it from the things that are said by people out there who say that God does not exist? Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's there to see the, the reality of things as they exist? Okay, uh, some other kind of key points as we go into this uh, further, that what we, you see is that the flood was not like the original plan for how things are going to go. But as it's described in this passage, that the world was full of, uh, interestingly enough, full of Hamas, <laughs> full of violence, and that because of the violence that was being put upon all of the earth, thus the violence had to be 
brought to an end. But you see that one of the things that started up pretty quickly after the flood was what we just finished off with the passage with the tower, the Tower of Babel, which will come up in a topic here soon. And when we see that the, the Tower of Babel, Babel, confusion, is also the source of the name Babylon, source of confusion. So interestingly enough, what do we see there in the day of the Lord when things get wrapped up? We see Babel, Babel, Babylon again, and we see the days of Noah, because that's what Yeshua talked about, that just like the days of Noah, we're going to be like the days of the Lord. Okay, so um, just like we noted here at the outset of this, you can see lots of various studies that we've done on this particular topic, and we've hit a number of these high points over the years. You can see all those at halal.info slash p2. So if you want to see all those various studies. So right now, I'm going to continue on to a section where uh, Genesis chapter 7 also mentioned chapter uh, 6 a little bit about the construction of the ark. But this passage where it says, you know, enter the ark and go into the ark. Now, one of the interesting things that we'll see in this are the parallels between the Ark account and about the coming Mashiach. Now, some of what we've uh, seen in the past and just a look, there are a whole lot of parallels between the Noach, whose name is a form of the word for rest, and for also Yeshua. And also talking about the great rest of God. The, when you see like in Psalm 95 and there in Hebrews 3 and 4 where it talks riffing on those ideas, you know, I swore my wrath, you will not enter my rest. And rest being a picture of the land, enter the land of Israel. And that being a, a picture of the destination, the place where everything is going. Well, thus, when you see in Hebrews chapter 4, when it says, well, there remains a rest, a Shabbat rest for all believers, the things which the destination to where things are going. Thus, you can see why Yeshua was talking about when he said in the temple, you know, come to me, you who are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a destination, the stopping point of it. So, thus, when you see that the picture of Yeshua as being rest and entering his rest in a picture of where the Messianic era is going. And also what you see is the continual things referring to righteousness that Noah is described as being righteous, the one who walked in the right way in his generation walked in the right direction, was, was headed in the right way in the midst of his generation. For Noah, what do we have recorded that the right way that he walked in? What's recorded? Two main things. Build the ark, 
and then go into the ark. So when you talk about righteous in his generation, what's revealed to us are those two main things. Build the ark, go into the ark. So that being a key picture that when you look forward into Israel's history, or what have we been talking through with um, when we finished out the Torah cycle through Deuteronomy? What was the important part, that second generation that we had, uh, the second generation after the Exodus, before they entered the land? What was the big important thing? Choose life. Choose the legacy. Continue this legacy. You're here. Not only just you are here, but you and your, all the generations are coming after you. So choose life for yourself. Choose life for your next generation that are coming after you. Go this way, and this is the way that leads to life. So this is the way towards the tree of life, and then which is the way away from that is the way toward the knowledge of good and bad because that path just leads to no end. It leads to in dying you will die. You're just starting the progression down the road toward a dead end. So thus you see also that Yeshua is called um, and likened to Melchizedek or the king of righteousness as described there in Hebrews chapter 7 as it goes into riffing and com- comparing the uh, Messiah and uh, the high priest and the Messiah and uh, Melchizedek. So, continuing on with this, this picture um, of chapter 7. Now, just a little bit, um, hey, it's kind of funny. You always wonder, you always talk about the ark. We got, we got the Noah's ark, and you got what? The ark of the covenant. Those are the big arcs you think about. Well, where on earth do we get this name ark? It's just weird. And in case you're curious, it just comes from the Latin form that when you, if you were to just love to go read the Vulgate and enjoy the Bible in Latin, you would see that uh, Noah's Ark is described as the Arca. And that's where we get the name Ark from. And it just means a container, a chest, a box, coffin, uh, some enclosed space, box, chest, uh, cabinet, those sorts of things. But in Hebrew there, it's translated from uh, Teva. Now, the other place that you'll find this, the only other place you're going to find this word, you'll find it a lot of times in the passage of uh, Genesis 6 through 9, but the other place you'll find it is in Genesis chapter 2, talking about Moshe and the ark that he was put in. Depending on your translation, I'll call it a basket. Yeah. I love Genesis so much that, yeah, you're going to look in Genesis chapter 2 and you're not going to find the ark. But if you go to Exodus, right, Exodus chapter 2, you will find Moshe in the ark. And uh, that, again, is the other use of Teva. But the reason why we get it described as a basket is because of what the Septuagint uh, describes it as. Now, the Septuagint uses two different forms of two Greek words for this. In Genesis 6 through 9, you've got the kibotos, which is what is traditionally thought of as a box. It can be something small. It can be something big, just something that's enclosing something else. 
And in Exodus chapter 2, you've got uh, Thebin, which is Thebin is basket. So thus, your, a lot of translations will follow the Septuagint in that regard and describe it as a basket. So, because that there's using the same Hebrew word, a lot of commentators over a long period of time have uh, seen that linguistically and thematically there are parallels between the, the account of Moshe and the account of Noah there with the ark. And the idea basically that there is a container that saves people, saves something precious and moves it through. And then you also have both of them being a form of a deliverer. Noah being the deliverer of his family and the animals and all the creatures that were brought on to the Teva. But then also Moshe, just because he didn't die, he wasn't one of those babies thrown into the river under the command of Pharaoh at the time. Although, as you see the account back there in Exodus, the midwives uh, circumvented a whole lot of what was going on with that. Boy, these women, they're just so so uh, vigorous. They just, before we can even get there, they're, they're gone. Uh, what, what could we do? Um, but one of the other things that is also seen as a parallel is that there is a restart of a sort that comes after each of these with Moshe being a restart of Israel with the Lord delivering the people out of the house of slavery and giving them a new start in the land. And then Noah, you know, the, being the restart of, of humanity and uh, all the animals and such. We talked about earlier the genetic bottleneck. So that was really a restart of humanity through his particular family. So some of the, the, the interesting thing is that, that's come upon this word of teva when it goes down through um, the centuries here uh, and you know, the AD period is that a number of Jewish commentators will riff on this word uh, teva because teva is taken down into medieval Hebrew and uh, more post-medieval Hebrew as being another word for word. <laughs> being another word for word because they'll say like devar, like with the book Devarim or Deuteronomy, words. Devar can mean a thing or it can mean a word, depending on the context and where it's used and such. And milah is another word, way that you can say spoken word. And then they also point to teva is something that can be seen as a written word. But that's later on, um, either you know, late, they call it middle Hebrew, which is like exile, exile period and later, or you know, after the first century sort of thing. So thus, you, you might have heard with the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, who lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and wrote a lot of uh, mystical writings, and one of which was called the uh, Torah Or, or the, the Torah of Light. And one of the things he riffed on with this particular passage that we're looking at of Noah, the, the Torah reading of Noah, is he uh, riffed on the idea of um, Teva being word. 
because you get some other pictures in there like um, it describes earlier there in Genesis chapter 6 where it talks about that you make you make a, say like a window in the ark and you'll probably see uh, various translations have a tough time with that one because um, strictly speaking it uh, it is um, you've heard of the Zohar of light well that is Zohar so very similar pronunciation but somewhat different uh sohar is you'll often find it in the hebrew writings to mean noon it just means like it's brightest part of the day it's where you usually see that so thus you are so translator facing that okay put a light thing in the ark in the top of the ark you're like well what do you do with that is that a roof or is that a window so you'll see various translations like new american standard has window but then is margin roof because <laughs> this is basically you look above uh and that's that's what it is so thus you see some of these these mystical commentators will look at this okay put a window in the tzava so you get this this window opening of the word and then they rift on it with the idea of the door of the word so the door of the word is seen as like a picture of repentance so door of the word is repentance and the window of the word is prayer because where does your prayer the prayer goes to the realm of god and then the door to the word being the picture of repentance coming back and forth into it so again that's when you talk about the various levels of interpretation that's gone far from the literal down to the very figurative but a number of people have also noted that um, there are some parallels with things that Yeshua talked about. Because some of what you see Yeshua talked about there in being referred to as the Word. Now, as we saw last Shabbat when we were going through um, the, the parasha there of Bereshit, you see the picture of the Word, the words of God there in the beginning. You see the pictures of where you get the tree of life and why that is connected to the Torah. He was always talking about the Torah being the tree of life. And that is connected to Proverbs chapter 3, where it's talking about wisdom being a tree of life. So thus you see the wisdom of God in the Mashiach coming through as being this tree of life, the way that leads somewhere. So thus, when you see in Yeshua's teachings, when he's talking about himself being the word, okay, so what is, you read about it in the Tanakh, and it talks about the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. What, what does that mean? What did that usually fit with? Okay, spirit of God, but what usually, f- prophecy, you usually went to a prophet. So the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. Word of the Lord came to so and so. Word of the Lord came to so and so. That is a prophecy, meaning that this is a communication of God down to mankind here. So thus you've got this this picture of the word coming one direction. But then you also have, when you go later on in the Gospel of John, like in chapter thirteen through seventeen, where you've got this communication of the up and down, the two-way communication. It's not just all download, it's also upload. 
we call the upload part prayer. But also, you get the download part as well. And when we went through Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago, you see that there is the huge important part of prayer is the download. Because it says there in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, you know, don't be blah, 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 blah when you're in the presence of God. Why? You need the download. You need to get the information back in. So, there's various ways that the, the download happens. And one of the key things I, I know I've, I've found with, with prayer is, for me, suddenly you start getting pictures from the Word. You get the verses come to mind. So, it happens different ways for different people. But for me, it's like the download is like, oh, this is something that's in the Word that fits with what you're praying about. So, that's why the key thing is the upload and the download and the connection between ourselves and heaven is hugely important. And when Yeshua talked to himself as the door, I am the door. So, what does that entail? Kind of like picturing between what Yeshua is talking about with the door and the ark. How do you get in the ark? Climb in through the window in the top? Get out an axe, maybe chainsaw? Maybe, oh, maybe the door was in the top. Hmm, interesting. He's, he's just don't. Uh, you got a comment on scaling the rock people, which is a uh, <laughs> that is a derivation from the the Zohar, and that's in case you ever saw that uh, travesty of cinema that uh, wondered where the rock people came in the account of Noah, that uh, that came from the the Zohar and um, how they ended up in the picture. But that's a totally different story, totally different. Yes, uh, and also Yeshua talked about as the the narrow gate and. What? Uh, oh, Deborah. Yes, go ahead. I just, we just wanted. We made a comment. Uh, we also made. Yes. You know, since God shut the door, He had to be the one to open it too, because yes. there's no way they could have opened that door without Him. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Good. We just wanted to say that too. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good comment. Yeah, because uh, you know, if you're ever been on a boat that has a tendency to leak, I guess it's good that. Uh, <laughs> You had someone that was uh, keeping any uh, way that, that uh, water could get in uh, totally closed. Yes. Yes, uh, Larry. My use today is a portal. Portal, yes. A portal. It allows communication between different places and different things and different times even. Yes, it's a, it's a very interesting way because you get the, the picture of a port Or a Zoom meeting room. A Zoom meeting <laughs> <laughs> a Zoom meeting room without uh, all of the technical challenges involved. Yes, some. Uh, although, I guess taking taking uh, Jared's metaphor and beating it with a hammer. Um, uh, sometimes I feel like you're talking with God, and like the mute button is on, and you just talk, 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 and you're just never getting through. But I guess we could be thankful that, uh, as it mentions in the Word about taking our groanings and turning them into something. So. Even if we don't think the message is getting through or we're living 
life with God with the mute button on that thankfully uh, God is able to search the innermost part of ourselves, which is a good thing. And it's also a bad thing, as we'll be getting to here uh, shortly. So picture, oh, yes. I just want to say something to Deborah's point that always fascinates me about God. When, when they went into the ark, God shut the door. And whatever comes to mind is, is God shuts doors that no man can open and opens doors that no man can shut. I just love that. My mother taught me that many years ago. She said, you just remember that. And I said, okay, well, I'm 73 now, and I was saved back in 1970, accepted Christ back in 1979. So it's been a little while. And that, anyway, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's a, you bring up a, a very interesting point, because that's actually where we're going to go next. And just uh, some examples, we're talking about the days of Noah being like the days of the Lord. And this particular, oh, uh, before we go there further, uh, Tammy's got something. Yeah, you were talking about the Ark earlier, in that if you start reading the early fathers, um, and another um, example of a, quote, Ark, you'll see in the early church fathers, a lot of people describe the Virgin Mary as a form of an Ark meaning that when she had Yeshua in her womb, she, her body protected him, it fed him, it gave him nourishment, and protected him from the outside world. So, um, as you know, protected that future deliverer, if you will. So, like, Noah was the deliverer of mankind when he um, went into the ark and took his family with him in the ark. He was like a deliverer for mankind. And so that Mary, in her womb, protected and nourished the deliverer of mankind. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. From the oh, the ark the tablets. Oh yes, yeah. the The ark held a very very precious cargo, like the tablets and uh, manna and such. So, one of the key things that Yeshua talked about is that the 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 days of Noah would be like the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So. Thus, as history ticks on, be good to know about what, what to look out for. Now, in particular, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming. He would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Oh boy, yeah, that... 
last part is always a uh, <laughs> real sobering. You know, coming at an hour, you don't think he will. So, again, in this passage, who is taken and who is left? So, looking back at this passage again, who is taken and who is left? One will be taken, one will be left. It says, they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And then it goes into one will be taken and one will be left. So, thus, you will see that they did not understand. Understand what? That, yes, the, that, the, that this would be the days, that the, the days were coming, the days of the day of the Lord was coming, and that they would take them away. And like the day of Noah, that the flood was going to be coming and take them away. So thus, um, the ones who were taken were those that did not really understand. They did not understand. So why were they taken? Because they were preoccupied with the, the joys of life. And before you think them, just getting down on joys of life we'll get back to that in just a moment but one of the things that yeshua featured this warning about getting distracted was in the parable of the sower and that's found in luke chapter 8 in matthew chapter 13 and mark chapter 4 but as you look at this particular passage that the hard soil that it says some of the seeds fell on the hard soil and then the birds came down and picked them up. And Yeshua said, well, that's like when the adversary comes and picks these things up and takes them away. So the word has fallen, but it's picked up before it was able to actually get into the ground. So one of the things there you could liken that to, that's like those who the adversary can easily divert from the word. They've hardened themselves to the actual word getting in. But they're also, when you get into that kind of a situation, when you've hardened yourself against God or even hardening yourself against new ideas or such, thus you can have whatever comes to you gets picked off because what? You don't even consider it. Like ground that's hard, it, the seed has no chance. Versus ground that's broken up it doesn't have the hard hard uh, crust to it the seed has a chance to get in so it does it may not get picked off immediately but then in the rocky soil it it says likened to those it says that um that uh, those who turn away you know it says because of temptation now when temptation comes and then they fall away so those who, when they are attracted, or as Paul puts it, you know, dragged away and enticed to walk away from the paths of God, they put up not much of a fight, or not the complete fight. Just was having a conversation here recently about that, and it's like, you know, whatever thing that you face against, whatever is your your um, temptation that really gets to you. It's like uh, we're talking with and using the metaphor of like swimming upstream. Yeah, it just feels like you're just 
your whole life is just swimming upstream. Wouldn't it just be easier, just like, ah, stop and just float downstream? Float downstream. But the thing is, yeah, we, we know if we have understanding that there is a waterfall at the end. You're going to go over the edge. We know that. So floating downstream is not the option. Just like we were talking about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, that we know that there is the waterfall, that that path, just floating downstream, so to speak, does not lead anywhere. It leads toward death. But the path toward life is upstream. And, oh, it's just every moment it is an effort. Now, I've only had to sw- swim upstream once <laughs> when I, was, I fell out of a raft on a, on a, on a trip. And I just imagine doing that for long periods of time. Yeah, I couldn't even handle it for more than just a couple of minutes. And I was just beat. But for those people... For some, it's greater than others, but whatever it is, you know, your life is swimming upstream. And even in today's society where, you know, they'll beat you down and say that, you know, don't believe this, don't believe that, you know, wrong is right. And they'll just, you'll just feel like, ah, just be so easy to just say, okay, yeah, whatever. And just go along with it because life is swimming upstream. and. What do you do with that kind of a situation? Do you just continue on? Yeah, but as I was uh, talking with someone about this, swimming upstream by yourself, you're doomed. But if you swim upstream as a team or with somebody else or some people to help you, you know, you got the, the metaphorical points where people can help you along the way. You know, taking this metaphor and drowning it um if you are swimming in someone's wake or whatever can possibly get a little bit easier and those so when we were going through ecclesiastes and when you also go through parallel passages in proverbs when it talks about that uh, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken but fewer strands are if you're out there by yourself trying to fight against whatever it is you're have problems with, or just in general with society, just trying to beat the belief in God out of you, or just dribble it away with diversions and distractions. Yeah, being out there by yourself, forget it. You know, peer pressure works in both directions, both for good and for bad. Yes. The uh, rocky soil does not also include t- uh, uh, persecution. Yeah, in in one in one translation, yeah, that or I should say one version of that. And you go over into one of the other parallel passages about temptation or persecution. Basically, something that puts you to the test is probably a best way to put the the rocky soil into one package. But then also like the thorny soil, and it talks about that the seed falls in among the thorny soil, and it says that the weeds grow up or the thorns grow up. And choke it off. And Yeshua talks about that these are can be compared to worries of life, the wealth of life, the stuff of life, plus also the pleasures of life can 
choke off. Basically, you become obsessed with it, obsessed with worrying, obsessed with accumulation or not being able to pay your bills, obsessed with also entertainment. Um, that's one of the things that they're you know, talking about in the past year and a half with the various um, in various states like ours where they've been uh, more uh, draconian with their restrictions that people have just been looking for something to make them think of something else. So thus you get like the people uh, binging on entertainment programming and just you know streaming going on and on and on and on where some of the services even have a feature now where it's like play something it's <laughs> just a button that says play something we don't care what it is just play it i don't care if i like it i don't just it's something play it so yeah yes larry in a lot of translation it says the delights of being mm. rich the delights Which almost yeah. everybody when you say that so i'd like to give that a try Yeah, like to like to give that a try of 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 being of being rich. Now, there's all kinds of of morality plays about that have been done for hundreds of years, including one that's circulating in the globe right now of the desire for stuff and the desire to get out of a jam, to get out of your um, particular problems that you're in, and it can drive people to unbelievable extremes drive people to terrible extremes alex uh do you have something oh no i i, I just saw, I got some great uh symbols and percussion going on there hey thank you uh, no, no problem at all <laughs> oh well well, <laughs> well fantastic yes <laughs> oh praise god so Yes, when you when you see that that picture of the obsession of the things of life that can just get up around you and choke off the word of God to worry about that. But the good soil, so that's kind of like the not this, not that, not this is the good soil. The good soil, so you are not hard. You're you're properly rototilled. You're properly broken up. It, the, the ground has been ripped up so the seed can actually get in there. And you're also um, not uh, broken by uh, temptation or, as you could say, the distractions, the persecution. You're not broken by that. And when you say broken by temptation, broken by persecution, um, those are harsh. You know, you may you may hear some some uh, really experienced um, experienced people like um, you know like there was there was a movie it was called like the the Lone Survivor, which is uh, part of a guy who was on a SEAL team and uh, was over in Afghanistan, and his whole unit was was wiped out. He survived by the good graces of some villagers, but. You know, and they were talking about the the threat of, of when he, if he was ever captured and interrogated or put through this or that or paraded around or this or that, and he, and this um, interviewer was saying, "Well, you know, you're you're trained for this. You know, you'd be able to hold out." And he just said, "Look, everybody breaks, no matter who you are. Everybody breaks. 
just because of the, the pressure that you're under. So that when you see the accounts of our brothers and sisters in faith that are like singing praises to God as they're being lit on fire, as you see back in the times of the Roman era and even in modern times today, where the things that ISIS has done to our brothers and sisters in faith over in the Middle East are horrific things to them. But still, they're able to praise God in their final moments. That's kind of like, you know, where, where you see that Yeshua is, tells them, you know, don't be worried about what you're going to say. Because you'll be given the things to say in that particular time. I think that those praises to God would be one of those things that would be a thing to say. Because when you've got big, strong people that say, look, you know, you just hold out on your own, you're not going to make it. But we definitely have lots of accounts of people holding out, holding on to their trust in God, no matter the terrible things that people are doing to them, to break them, but they do not. So that, thus, is a gift of God, to be able to praise God and hold on even in those terrible times. So, anyway, back to that question about, well, are, are the joys of life bad? You know, should we just be um, not wanting to be at all joyful, to follow the ascetic life of just, you know, be, be like a Vulcan, so to speak, where you feel no emotion, no thrills, nothing. You have no pleasures, no joy. You, or do you take it like some of the Eastern religions where you just shed all of that attachments to the world, everything, shed it all out as being something that will hold you down from moving on. But what you see is actually, especially related to the appointed times of the Lord, uh, a lot of accounts where it talks about rejoice before the Lord. You see that in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 12. And also, as we read through in Ecclesiastes here recently, uh, you see that in a couple passages in chapter 3 and chapter 5. And in particular, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, says, Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Now remember, this is in the middle of the the book where if you don't have this kind of perspective, you'd want to jump from a bridge, because it just, what is the whole front of the book? Everything's meaningless, everything, meaningless, vanity, like chasing after the wind. So you would think just by reading all that, oh, jump from a bridge. It's just there's no hope. There's no point in life whatsoever. But what you see in this is the proper perspective on it. So thus, you know, if you see that a lot of the things, a lot of what we just read about with the the different types of soil, if those things that can drag us away and keep us from having the, the good crop being a place that will propagate the kingdom of God, the knowledge of God, also the 
uh, trusting in God to generation after generation after us, then this is something that you just have to realize that a lot of those distractions are meaningless. But there are the joys in there that don't distract you and take you away. But just keep them in perspective. The joys in life are there to be joyful and to also be thankful for whatever days that we have, whether they be long, whether they be short. So thus, like with our brothers and sisters, they can face terrible, terrible challenges to their faith, terrible things to their faith. But you go on and you realize that, um, as a number of people have put it, simply, there are worse things than dying. Or as Yeshua put it, you know, don't fear the one who can destroy your body. But what? Who do you fear? The one who can destroy body and soul in Gehenna. That is, that is the key choice between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. So, Thus, in the world that we have today, where, where people are just totally scared to go out of their homes, scared to talk to people, just scared, 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 scared. You, know, you can do lots of things to protect yourself, but in the end, if you go, you go. And we've, especially in this country, have gotten this, this uh, terrible... Um, association with death and we just want to cling on to life no matter what it costs but in the end like when we talk about the perspective from the beginning of where things come from and where we're going we see that hey the one who created all this around us created us the wonderful mastery of our being able to talk to each other to hear each other that the one who did all that can recreate us. And when the promises come to do so, that, that we can trust in those promises. And when he promises that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, we can, we can take that and depend on that. So that's one of the, the key blessings that we have in all of this. So in the end, that similarly, when you think about having, um, do we just eschew joy, just cast away joy? No, joy is an important, important part of life. just needs to be kept in perspective that life is a gift of God and the blessings we have and in, are a gift of God. But also something to keep in mind is that with the offerings, the offerings in the tabernacle and the temple, that if you don't keep the proper frame of mind, even those things can become obstacles, challenges. So if we get preoccupied with the particulars and the appearances of bringing the offerings, then what happens? You get passages where God says that he hates them. You see that in Isaiah chapter 1. You see also a key thing in, in Psalm 51, where right after uh, David is talking about his repentance, after 
know, the prophet Natan comes to him and confronts him about the great sin that he's done, that he talks about the road back. And here in, in verses 16 through 19 of Psalm 51, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So, you'd think, uh, just from the outset, you'd think uh, that David was having some sort of break with reality because he starts out with the first part saying, you don't delight in these offerings. And in the end, he says, you'll delight in these offerings. It almost sounds a lot like what we were back there in Genesis chapter 3. You know, they were naked, not ashamed. Then they were naked and ashamed. Well, what happened in between those passages? Sin. Something happened within them. And as I talk about, the sin was found within them. Something happened in the inside that changed the entire equation in there. So, thus, even though offerings are kind of a key symbol and a key part of that up, upload, download connection with God, that's if we don't have the right intentions in our heart, if our heart is not transparent, if our heart is clouded, even though our hearts are searched by God and are totally visible, if we're keeping something back thinking that we need to hide something, kind of like Adam and Eve were trying to hide from God in the garden, then there comes to be a problem. It goes from the time of having no shame, where there is nothing to hide from God, and then shame, and there is something to hide. So thus, that's where you could see the, the, the key part of uh, bringing offerings in joy, bringing our connection with God in joy. So that's where we'll leave things off here today. Um, any last thoughts as we close out? Because one of the things you, you would see in this, this picture of the days of Noah being like the time of the day of the Lord, we see one of the, the key pictures of that and who is taken and who is left behind. Key part is understanding. Understanding the lateness of the hour, not being distracted by the stuff around you, so that you truly are a fertile, rototilled ground that is able to take the Word of God and make it grow within you to produce crop, meaning yourself, healthy, but also others around you being healthy and being also connected to God in the process. Any other thoughts before we close out here? How, how to get that analogy with the, to go with uh, no-till a- agriculture? 
Um, okay. I'm struggling hard to avoid that red herring, but um, the uh, think of the no-till agriculture. Um, I'll just, just leave it with this. Um, a proper understanding of the passage that we just read today from Noah and a proper understanding of the previous passage we read in better sheets of where things come from and how this world was designed, we would not have no-till agriculture. I'll just leave it at that. So, um, let's close out with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for giving us these words of hope and also words of warning. And Father, we thank you for being there as a, a door to salvation. Father, we, we've heard about the trouble ahead and the trouble that's here. And Father, we just ask that you make us fertile. And Father, we just ask that you continue to transform us more into the likeness of the Mashiach. We thank you for covering over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities with his blood. We thank you in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.